The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. For another exciting week here on the Brandon Peters Show. Today we have a discussion on the 2011 film Absentia. And accompanying me in that chat, I have from Morbidly Beautiful and the Devil's Kettle Drama Club, my neighbor to the south, Jamie Alvey. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. And you've got a banger of a pick here to talk about film-wise, so I'm very excited about that. But first, let's talk about you a little bit. You're notable, I mean... One of your more known things to say you're you know big in the horror. You're one of the big horror people, and I always love with horror because I'm horror up myself. But I'm like, where did your what's your genesis of falling in love with horror? What was your first little taste that got you hooked for life on horror? Well, my mother definitely 100%. My mother has always loved horror movies. Like from the time that she was like very young, her aunt actually snuck her to The Exorcist when it was in theaters. And she she was like 11, I think. And it terrified her. And she's just been watching horror movies ever since. So I just kind of grew up with it. And it's something that we've bonded over it's it's mom you can blame her my dad's not as big on them as my mother but he'll watch them he's like i can't do it now because my nerves are shot gotcha but mom 100 she is always watching some kind of horror movie gotcha. what, what were some of the earliest ones she pushed on you to give you the impression oh my gosh i remember like the 74 carry pet cemetery just pretty much a lot of stephen king adaptations and it just snowballed. Yeah. You want that feeling over and over again, even if it's too terrifying. It's great. We'll get to, now you're a writer yourself, but writing about film, like how did how did that evolve out of, because you were a writer at Morbidly Beautiful and you've written some fine pieces there. I've read, I haven't read all of them. I haven't collected them all yet, but I have read through plenty. But like, what inspired you to write about film? So I have a literature background. I have an English degree and I have a master's in literature. I've always loved acting and storytelling, period. I have a theater minor too in there, but I've always loved analytical stuff, Mm -hmm. analytical pieces, some of my favorite stuff to write. So basically that grew out of just my absolute love of writing research papers in undergrad because I was like, I love analyzing stuff. I love this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just was like, I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) Very, very good. What uh, What are some of the, like, that you feel like some of your strongest analysis have been or one that you put down and you're like, I really like that piece? One of my first ones is one that I had wanted to do forever was uh, an explication of 10 Cloverfield Lane and how it pretty much encompasses. It's like a bottle drama of the female experience because there's just so much going on because, you know, she's got these two men and you have Emmett who is relatively, he's not threatening and then you have Howard who is horrifying Mm -hmm. and 
encompasses everything you can imagine about toxic masculinity. So that was one of my first pieces that I came out with and my foray into the whole writing community, my first official one. And I still love that one. I did one over 74 Black Christmas and the 2019 Black Christmas. Okay. I love those. I loved doing those. Super fun to write about. Even though it's some really heavy subject matter, it's stuff that really needs to be brought to attention. But I have written so much about the Invisible Man here recently. And (laughs) that was one of, I remember like coming home from the theater, I wrote my review Mm-hmm. Went to bed, cried myself to sleep because I was so anxious from watching that movie. And then I got up the next day and I started writing an analysis over that. And I'm just still in love with that one, too. And recently, that was the best film of 2020, according to this guy. So, oh, I yeah. agree. <laughs> I, was, I was talking, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, there's the Invisible Man and then there's Relic. Those were mm-hmm. my top two. Gotcha. And It's just so funny because Natalie Erica James was like mentored by Lee Winnell. Oh, okay. And I was like, that's awesome. Just that they're just like right up there for me. It's it's, so cool. But recently I wrote an analysis for Film Days' horror issue, Mm -hmm. which was their October release. And I talked about Hill House and Oculus since we're getting into talking about absentia, which I would focus a lot on Flanagan's works. And I wrote a piece recently about Tucker and Dale and the patriarchy for film cred, which is very near and dear to my heart because I was like, this is an off the wall topic, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to do it. There you go. There you go. I will have to say, I adore your appreciation for the modern, I guess we'll call it modern. It's only a year old, the black Christmas, the, the latest the latest film to take the title of Black Christmas. Because myself, I saw it and I appreciate it. Like, I like things about it. It wasn't quite there for me. But through you and some others that I've been with your collation, I've found I've learned and found a better appreciation for it and definitely like it a lot more than I originally did. And I can see some things that maybe I wasn't seeing before. So I do love that. Thank that. you. So, yeah. I, I think it's awesome how like it, just reading different perspectives on stuff can mm-hmm. really bring stuff home for you. Like, right. And I'm one of those people that sometimes I'm like, you know what? I don't think one watch did it for me. I have to go watch it again because I'm like, oh, yeah, just hang on here. Give me a second. I got to go watch it again. <laughs> right. I'm you one know. of those people. So. Well, I, I tend to be more eager to check out a film that maybe I was lukewarm on or cold on because I, I, I want to see it again because I think some of your daily routines with things affect how you watch a film. Like I, if I was planning on going to see a a film in the theater back when we did those things and I was having like, Oh, I was in a bad mood or something. I would just cancel my plans to go see it because I'm like, I'm, that's not fair to the film that I'm going into it angry or upset or something weird, but I'm odd. So that's how. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm like that too, because I remember the first time I watched the witch I can't remember what was wrong, but I was just like, I don't feel great. And it totally affected how I saw that film. And then I watched it again and I was like, you know what? This is great. What the hell was wrong with me? You want to know what happened with me? Uh, Like that happened with me and Dr. Sleep. I was not amused with it. The first, like I liked the first three quarters of it, but I was 
at the time, I saw it the first time, I was going through some life things at the time, and I think that was bothering me. And then months later, I watched the director's cut, and that came out, and I was like, what the hell? I love this thing. What was wrong with me? I totally saw it. Th- and so I was glad that I, I do that, and I give something. Plus, that director's cut is a way better version of the film, but I was like, okay, what was wrong with me? I was like, it must have been <laughs> my life getting in the way of my analysis or a way to take it in. So definitely, I totally agree with that. At least I like it now. You always do. You're always like, what was wrong with me at that time? Dr. Sleep is another one that I just came home and I cried about because I just, I'm one of those people, if I I try to hold it in, I try to hold it in when I'm in the theater because I don't want people to look at me and be like, is this bitch okay? (laughs) Is she okay? Because I have... I have a history of getting, I get, if I like a movie, I'm really into it. Mm-hmm. I'm really into it to the point that it's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I, I've been known to scream and like, literally I screamed watching 10 Cloverfield Lane in the theater. And there was one guy that was in there that wasn't with me and my friends. And he turned and looked back at me like, What? So ever since then, I've kind of tried to keep a keep a lid on it. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. At chapter two, I literally looked at my friend Leslie, tears coming down my face. I go, get me out of here before they think something's wrong with me. I got salt from the popcorn in my eye. I was eating the... I wiped. I'm totally, I'm totally not crying over these dead people and their friendship and all the... <laughs> These made-up people and the made-up relationships, so they're, they just got to me. Hey, I I, I recently had we had a um, uh, I had a top ten soundtrack songs of the '90s episode, and I opened up about uh, being moved by the end of Phenomenon with John Travolta as a kid. So it's all good. It's all good. Speaking of dramas, acting stuff, you do you help run the Devil's Kettle Drama Club? Is that yours, or do you run it with other? I actually started the thing because go. I was like, you know what. The pandemic, it's awful. And I was like, I had been wanting to do a read of the script for Jennifer's Body forever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that'll be something fun to do. So we just kept doing it. And that's how it happened. Gotcha. Gotcha. How, like, as a person who gets anxiety over trying to get, if I do a, a one person as a guest, let alone sometimes I do three, you get a lot of people to get there. Like, how worked up do you get about all of them showing up to make it work at the time like that well usually it it works out because sometimes if something happens we always have somebody to jump in okay. i've had times where people were sick and i hopped in and i did another role on the fly so actually that's one thing that i can say about all of them that everybody has been great Everything has worked out. Everybody's always willing to, you know, pick up Mm -hmm. pieces if they need to. So I, weirdly enough, the first one was the only time I was stressed. Gotcha. The rest have been amazing. Well-oiled machine. Go through. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I've I've watched a couple of them. I I found it because one of your regulars, Molly Henry, was on here and she told me about she was doing one that week. So I watched that and I was like, do a lot of cool stuff. It's a lot of fun. Definitely. And you're, I watch, I haven't watched the whole thing. I but, love Molly. So when those are up, definitely check those out. Those are a lot of fun with a lot of fun people that bring a lot of great, unique energy to these 
classic scripts or recent scripts that could be classics or are now classics. So I really talk about your screenplay for film Bystanders. The the log line pretty much goes like it's a couple are coming home from a wedding and they run into a bunch of murderous frat boys. And but here's the here's the catch. The frat boys get more than they bargain for. In this case, I have been working on the idea for this came to me in late 2016. So I've been working on this for a long time. Like I had the first draft early 2017 done and I'm going into what I hope is the final draft. And it's it's off the wall. (laughs) Off the wall. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, you. I feel privileged you let me read it. Anytime someone's like, here's a piece of my passion and shares it, I appreciate that. It's a graphic <laughs> kind of fun time in a bit. Where did, the, where did it hit you that this is what I'm writing? I got to see this idea out. Did it come in chunks? Did, it, did you just start and follow it through or was this just it, all at once hit you? It just all at once hit me. I knew what I was going to do. And, you know, it happened like pretty much this was around the same time that, you know, a lot of the stuff with Brock Turner was happening. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That really kind of motivated. It's like, I have to see this through to the end because that I like was really it even motiv- more now. Yeah. That was really a <laughs> motivating factor for, yeah. you know, the content and the subject matter and what, mm-hmm. what it was saying because I was just. Had so, and I still have so many just bottled up feelings about that because it's just so indicative of our culture as a whole and how it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> you're a rapist, but we're just going to slap you on the wrist because of who you are. And that really motivated me. And what still motivates me is. I've had a lot of my students open up to me about their own assaults in their writing, kind of trying to purge mm-hmm. that through their writing. And it just really is something that actually keeps me going with it because, and that's why I'm so persistent and why I've thrown myself in it 100% because I was like, I believe in what this is saying. I believe in the commentary in it. And not just that, I believe in the quality of it as well. I think that it's an interesting way to tackle this issue and several other issues that are broached within it. Bystanders is a really honest and like, doesn't like you don't hold back anything. That's what I loved about it. It's just all out there. It's not subtle. It's gut punchy real gut punchy. You do some nasty things in there and I love it. This is the meanest thing I've ever written. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go all in on it. Yeah. I'm yeah. just going to go all in. There's Emily was jokingly. She was like, can we brand this as feminist torture porn almost? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh no, no, no. So are you going to, like you had talked about doing maybe like a proof of concept or like kickstarting something. Is that still in the cards? Yeah, we're still talking about it because everything just, the ongoing issue of the pandemic alone has kind of gotten us, you know. These times we live in. 
these these times we live in have, because I was like, you know what, do I want to go? Because we're going to go through with something. We don't know if we're going to do the proof of concept yet, Mm -hmm. or if we're just going to go through and say, screw it, we're going to fund it, the whole thing and try to get it made and throw it out. So we have some avenues. And I say we, because it's like, I have like a small, small team. And I'm really lucky that I have so many people that are interested in it. And I'm so thankful. But Bystanders, I look forward to following it, continuing to see how it develops, grows, because it's an exciting little screenplay. And I, I already I talked about it back in like November on one of my episodes, too. So I was pretty happy. Thank you so out. much. Yeah. I'm so glad you like it. Yep. Every time somebody's like, I love this. It's just it really means a lot to me. You like my word jumble? Cool. Cool. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So much I read in there. I'm like, I want to see that come to life. I want to see how that looks visually. Good stuff. Let's call them lucid dreams that you're having. They started about the time you decided to declare him dead in absentia. You're describing visual, auditory, even tactile hallucination. He's not the only one, not even close. They declared Walter dead in 2002. I ran into him just last week. You see me? Left behind a son who says his dad was taken away by a monster. It's sleeping. I saw it. You hallucinated it. I saw it. Things go missing in this neighborhood, and those things turn up in one place. I was seeing things too. They felt so real. We found a body in the tunnel. Oh my god! Always in this neighborhood, you lock the door. I know how that sounds. You see your eyes? We're gonna need to question you a lot more. I swear to you, I could hear him in the walls. Ah! Absentia is written and directed by Mike Flanagan and stars Courtney Bell, Katie Parker, Dave Levine, Doug Jones, and Morgan Peter Brown. It is about a woman and her sister. They begin to link a mysterious tunnel to a series of disappearances, including that of her own husband. So like everybody else, and this is an excellent pit when I talk about people at the show picking ones, you aced it. And then you only brought one to the table. You're like, this one, I'm like, perfect. So why Absentia? I watched Absentia like... In, I think my sophomore year of college. So we're talking like 2013, 2014. I am a very withdrawn kind of person, even though I seem very, I'm actually very introverted. So I would just sit and watch horror movies by myself a lot of the time. And um, I just watched Absentia on Netflix one evening and I was completely blown away. Like I was like, this is it. This is what I've just always wanted out Mm -hmm. of horror. This is what I love about horror movies. And I just felt like this artistic connection because I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just really stuck with me. And I wish that I could just bottle that feeling forever. And I'm in love with it still. It's it's an enduring love affair. And I joke that Mike Flanagan is the only man who has never let me down. 
but <laughs> at this point, is it really a joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, if you look, I mean, if you look back at the last decade, he has probably the one of the best outputs, argu- inarguably. Amazing. I, yeah, I was, I was looking back, and I'm like, ooh, like all his stuff was from here onward i mean he's got shorts and other little independent things from the previous decade but like right here starting absentia all the way through to well we're gonna stop at 2019 and call dr sleep and we'll have haunting a blind manor for the next decade sure so he's already on a good start for this decade but yeah like his output i was looking i'm like that's pretty astounding what he pulled off here there's I oh mean, like I just, I just love just his work ethic and just hearing him talk about, you know, working mm-hmm. and stuff because I really relate to that because I'm one of those people that I just work, work, work meticulously and I try to have like a huge output with things and I really throw myself into that. So I just, I see a lot of myself there. It's always wonderful when you find somebody creatively that you just really jive with. And Mike Flanagan is one of those for me. And I'm so, I'm so thankful to past me for being like, you know what, this looks neat. And then being like, oh my God, this is perfect. I love it. Right. Right. What about his work like inspires you thematic through his films? Honestly, Hushed came out in early 2016. Mm -hmm. And then of course, the idea for bystanders came in late 2016. So really, I know it's like a weird A to be here, but how that film was shot and how just brutally bare bones and just still beautiful and meaningful really kind of shaped how I wanted bystanders made. Gotcha. And that's one of the things that really sticks with me still. And overall, the fact that he centers these really realistic human stories in his horror. His horror is always based in emotional realness. Yeah. And that is something that I have kept with me as a creative myself because that's what really speaks to me in horror like yeah i like fun and i like blood blood and guts but you know i love being emotionally wrecked i love that breathlessness Mm -hmm. and just being so utterly invested in the characters and the storyline and that is something that has just really impacted me when it comes to his work because it's an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember not long after that, I saw he only had Oculus out at this time, Absentia yeah. and Oculus. I sought out Oculus right away. Right. And ah, my God, that ending, the end of Oculus. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Angry cry. <laughs> Angry cry. I was like, this is, but it was just so purposeful and just that parallelism Mm -hmm. how he brought those two timelines together and wrapped that up so beautifully and the bookends there chills chills talking about it right he's kind of got that thing sort of like judd apatow with comedies where you could take out the the horror parts and they still work as dramas that that's how much detail he pays to the characters and the the actual through line of the narrative. I'll admit this, this was a blind spot for me. I hadn't seen it till this. So I appreciate you bringing it to the table. I hadn't, it would have been on like one of those, like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then it just, 
I chose this purposely because it is such, everybody's like, oh, Flanagan, Flanagan, Flanagan. And I'm like, but have you seen Absentia? Oh, you're going hipster on him there. Yeah. I was <laughs> no, there since no, Absentia. And it's like, so. <laughs> no, no. If you really like him, you should, you should because I know a lot mm-hmm. of people try to discount earlier works of artists oh, for no, some no, no, no. reason. And I'm like, no, he was good from the get-go. And this man... I think you could give him any kind of budget and he could make it work. Well, that's the thing. This film is exactly what I love about the horror genre so much, especially in my elder years or whatever, when I started working, doing film stuff is, and this is the, this is a prime example of it. I love and why I talk about sort of my love for slashers and I'm now being a podcaster and just pushing back what I'm going to say with just a lot of details, but you give him five bucks and see what he comes back with. You don't give him any more pennies, nothing, and it's effective as hell. Like, he knows his limits, he knows what he can and can't do, and he does push things a bit, but you can truly see where the creative talents lie, the, you know, studio hand directors lie and stuff, but you give him that, and only the horror genre can really that in my opinion i mean you because you have to you know to stand out you have to show some sort of flair some sort of strengths and not everybody can do it and i think it's the perfect that's why we get so many directors out of horror because it's the proving ground a bit but i i think it's more than just a proving ground but it's a perfect ground zero for that because creatively he has he has visual effects in this movie but he doesn't abuse them and he knows how because this was a Kickstarter movie mm-hmm. done for like twenty five thousand, or it ended up being seventy thousand in the end. Or something yeah, like that. but that's not a lot of. Money. It's not a lot of. That's the thing. That's what shocked me when I looked up the budget for this. Mm-hmm. I was like, "This looks because some some lower budget movies look lower budget. This mm-hmm. one doesn't. It doesn't right. look." or feel lower budget because it's like he came in to this movie like he had a bigger budget but he used what he had Mm -hmm. in such a effective way right yeah because the the cg spider thing in it or whatever it was i think it was a c i think some of it was cg because there was a credit for a visual effects company but he uses it far in the background blurry shadowy and so you never really see it but you do see it, but it's not enough. It's enough to make your mind think of something haunting, and that's really, really great. That whole that whole thing where you're just like, the idea of it is just so creepy. And mm-hmm. just, I think sometimes you can show too much yeah. in certain kinds of situations with horror. And Absentia is a perfect example of how you can show so little but still be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And I, I want to say, like, the, there's a uh, minimalist approach to the ghoul version of the husband, his, his look when he's popping up around the house and stuff, mm-hmm. that a lot would go overboard. But he's got a really minimal look to it. And it reminded me, and the way he uses it, it reminded me of Carnival of Souls. Uh, mm-hmm. The old black and white movie. I was really loving that. I was like, "Oh, he likes Carnival of Souls. He's on my. He's my friend still." Um, but uh, they could have gone like he does go crazy with the Doug Jones makeup and stuff, but that works. But the husband, he keeps a little minimal, and it's scary as hell. Like I don't like it when the husband's on screen, 
and I feel uncomfortable. I don't want to look at him. I'm like, no. And that doesn't happen to me a lot with horror. I'm like, been watching it my whole life, almost 40 years now. But there was times when, like she said bye to her sister, shut the door. I was like, ah, damn it. And that's a good filmmaker right there because if you can get me to go, ooh, a little bit, I'm, I appreciate you. Like, and that's the thing. It just makes you so uncomfortable. And yeah. it's, oh. Yeah. And it, it's just, Oh gosh, yeah, and I, I think this movie too. It's and it's kind of sort of in its aesthetic, and somewhere how sometimes it plays. It's got the strengths of like a really good found footage film at times. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's and that's probably due to like the low budget, the camera that he has to use nature. But I like that about it too because I I don't discount the found footage aesthetic and stuff. That you can make really good stuff with it. Like we just got an overabundance of cheapies for a good while. But this has some of those flavors of those that make it like when the sister is in the bathroom and they have the attack towards the end. That's very found footage feeling and some of the tunnel stuff too. And it really works well as just normal movie, but it definitely had that. And I was really, really appreciating that. And just the simple, like the simplicity of like the amount of sets, just the little neighborhood geography, just really working for it. I, I definitely, definitely enjoyed the hell out of that. And then uh, just like some of the, the thematics too, like uh, the guilt of moving on, dealing with her pregnancy, and then the addiction of the sister, all through lines that the ghosts are standing in for in places. And it's that's some of how the best horror works. I mean, yes, it's easy, it's on the nose, but it's effective and... I, th- I think that, honestly, that's one thing that he does very well, especially I actually wrote a piece over how it just feels like absentia is thematically tied to Hill House and Dr. Sleep because you have Callie, Luke, mm-hmm. and Dan. And there's just such a realistic portrayal of addiction, but it's also, I think, a very kind portrayal of addiction because mm-hmm. while others in the film and the series might judge the character. Flanagan's not. No, no, not at all. Yeah, he plays it as best and honest as he can. And he, though it's it's interesting. Like he definitely does a lot of films like about women, and they tend to <laughs> they. I mean, I think they resonate well with women, which is interesting for a man. But but he probably isn't like a soul. He probably listens to his performers. He probably he with you know spouse or writing partner helps get through but he, he tends to be a guy a man writing about women successfully yeah that's one th- that's one thing that's why i fell in love with him as a creative because mm-hmm. i was like this is a man this is a man who can write <laughs> women <laughs> i right. was so excited mm-hmm. i was so excited because i was like this is a man who can write women i was like this is amazing give me more <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, like what Courtney Bell's like the mother of his child, or one of his children, the star of this movie. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. So they were definitely yes. tied together there, and he's yes. u- he's used plenty of people in this film in some of his other works as well, which is a nice nod. Yeah, because Katie Parker, she pops up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I know that Katie and Courtney are both in Oculus in like blink and you'll miss it roles. Mm-hmm. Courtney is in Before I Wake. Also, Katie has went on to be as she's also in Dr. Sleep, mm-hmm. Hill and House, yeah. and she's in Bly. Yep. I don't know how I memorized that. I feel so weird right now. Flanagan <laughs> super fan right here. There you go. 
Yeah, this is apparently a, a, a take on the Billy Groat Gruff story, which I, I went through and I loosely got kind of the connection. But do you know more about that deeper okay. connotations? Here's the thing. What's weird is this. There's a real weird real life kind of connection to this because there okay. are a lot of missing cases that are tied to the map of the cave systems Okay. in America. So it's really odd. I was reading about that a while back and it's terrifying. So it kind of links back to that. And you're like, what, what's happening? What's going on here? Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's some, yeah, there's some light things. Where I'm like, I guess it could be that. I guess it could be this. But I was like, I was expecting it to be like, I guess more on the nose with it, I, I suppose. But it, it's, it's kind of loosely tied there. It was shot in Glendale, California. You ever been to Glendale? No, I've I've actually never been out west. Oh, okay. Um, I need to go. I need to go. <laughs> gotcha. I lived there for four years. No, I didn't live in Glendale for four years, but I lived in Los Angeles for four years. But yeah, I've been to Glendale, not around this part, or I would have definitely went around and found that tunnel just to be like, oh, hey. This movie didn't get made till three years after I moved away, so <laughs> there's that. What? What's weird is like I live near a walking path and mm-hmm. we have an overpass that's <gasps> almost like that. And every time I go under it, I'm like, oh, my God, absentia. And I literally took a picture of it and sent it to my mother. And I was like, absentia. And she was like, oh, my God, absentia. <laughs> you know, if this was like some huge blockbustery movie every Halloween or something, you could go in the tunnel and be like, hey, oh, you could see me. Oh, oh. No, right now you do it. They're like, whoa, what? What? Like, now playing on Amazon Prime, Absentia, go watch it. You'll get my joke. (laughs) Hey, at this point, I have pushed this movie on so many people that I might as well do it. There you go. (laughs) Because I'm like, this is great. (laughs) Everybody go watch. What's your address? I want to leave some keys there and some... (laughs) <laughs> trinkets yeah i do i do have i do have one glaring issue with mike flanagan not enough of his content is on blu-ray it's all That's- streaming stuff and i want blu-rays with bonus features all i have is oculus haunting of hill house and dr sleep that's it that that's his catalog on blu-ray what's really sad though is he i like in the past he's talked about wishing that there was a really nice edition of absentia and -hmm. like gerald's game and Mm -hmm. hush and i'm one of those people i periodically am like netflix i need these movies on right a, a physical format and i really hope that like scream factory or one of the like boutique brands will yeah. pick up absentia that would be cool and do like a re- i would love to have like you know mike's commentary because like looking back at it now it would be so interesting oh yeah and I just, I just, I wish that there was more physical releases for his stuff because I love it. I have a DVD of Absentia. I have everything except for Before I Wake, Hush, and Gerald's Game. Yeah. So I have really dug in there. Yeah. There was, it looked like there was supposed to be a double feature Blu-ray with Gerald's Game and that other, the Thomas Jane Stephen King movie that came out on Netflix at the same time, but it looked like it got abandoned. Look like there was like, mm-hmm. a plan for it, but give me a, like a set if you want. <laughs> like uh, I'll buy it. I mean, they're popular. I mean, he is he has risen up because of his 
output. Uh, Oculus was big, but like streaming service seems to be where he picked up and then they're like, hey, let's give him Dr. Sleep. And now he's critically, I mean, Dr. Sleep wasn't the financial thing they were hoping for, but I think critically, I think they're seeing that people like what he's putting out and resonating with people, even if it's not a, a huge target audience, but theaters are a whole weird thing right now. But I definitely like his work and I would like maybe Bly Manor. If they put Hill House on Blu-ray, maybe we'll get Bly Manor. I want Bly Manor on blue. I'm like, it's like, I don't think you understand Netflix. I, it's not a want at this point. It mm-hmm. is a need. I need it. I need it on my shelf mm-hmm. with all my other Flanagan stuff that is meticulously lined up and right. I need it. <laughs> it's got empty spaces for hopefully the days that they come. Yeah, it's surprising, but I mean, they're very choosy with what I mean, maybe he didn't negotiate a home video deal with it because I know like Scorsese when he like he's like, you got you guys have to put it out in a physical form, you know, if if I do this and they agree to it. And so that's like it waits a year. So it has an exclusive window. But I would think Hush would even sell well. But there's people that I mean, while we think everybody's got Netflix, there's a lot of people that don't and a lot of people yeah. that would want to go to the library or somewhere and pick up one, watch it. It's that mm. physical form. I mm. And who knows? I don't want to just... I, it may disappear from streaming one day, but I would like it to always be in my library. <laughs> yes, that's how I feel because I'm like, I don't trust. I like streaming, but I don't 100% trust it. Right. You know what? Like sometimes your internet goes out and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to put it on. I'm going to put it on yeah. <laughs> and you just go pop it in the Blu-ray player and it's always there. Even if it's like limited to a couple thousand, do it. I'll get my copy. Yeah, I'll pay 50 bucks for it if you want Netflix. I mean, I'm that desperate. And yep. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, not like I don't have a hush print right there. there you, I see it right me. there. Yes. And yeah. a Hill House print. And I have a, another Hill House print and a Bly Manor print. Like That's I amazing. have a... <laughs> <laughs> have a Flanagan wall and you now. live by the tunnel so there you go like that's it's like what's more perfect hey you know what Netflix if you want to send me a blu-ray of it and like have me like push it on people like review it and be mm-hmm. like pop up places and be like hello hush is on blu-ray <laughs> you should go buy that I will do it if there hadn't been a pandemic, I would have been, I was like, you know what? Do you need me to go door to door to like the voters houses and stuff for the <laughs> Emmys and stuff? Because I will, because I will sing the gospel of Bly Manor. Yeah. I will scream to them about how Tania Miller is one of the best actresses ever. And that you all should feel extremely ashamed for not nominating her for anything or the rest of them for that matter because there is not a bad actor in that show and there was not a bad episode and it's art and you're just biased because you all hate horror no arguments here (laughs) i love that excellent excellent i have so many pent-up feelings about this let them out i'm here for it i'm here for it excellent What else? This is where we talk about something else we may have watched, read, listened to, or maybe wrote, put out in the world, produced. So, Jamie, what else? 
I have a piece that's coming out very soon. Mary Beth McAndrews actually was like, yes, I want this piece for film cred and I'm really excited about it. It is Invisible Man and Bly Manor adjacent. And I'm very proud of it because it's, it's a weirdly personal piece, but also not at the same time. I'm really excited for it though. I'm like, you know what? This is a good piece, Jamie. It's like you like yourself today. This is a good piece. Heck yeah. I'll be sure to yeah. share share that when it when it posts. People can check it out. I'm look I'm looking forward to that. You said a couple things I already like already. So there we go. Myself, I uh, I'm working on a Blu-ray set of John Hughes movies. Well, only two of them because they they've they are the only ones that haven't been on Blu-ray before. The others are all same disc, but uh, one of them, Some Kind of Wonderful. Have you ever seen Some Kind of Wonderful? No, but isn't that the one that he made after he got pissed off about Pretty in Pink, or am I am I dreaming that? that it is, okay, the, good, it is the response to Pretty in Pink. <sighs> it, it's so it, Eric Stoltz is Molly Ringwald in this, uh, and... Leah Thompson is the Andrew McCarthy character, and Mary Stuart Masterson is Ducky, basically. That's what we have here, and it's played uh, quite a bit more dramatically than Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink's way better <laughs> than this movie. It was, it was, it was kind of a tough why It's not, there's not fun in it. Characters are kind of tough to like, but <laughs> if it's, it's an interesting oddity. I'm, I'm probably sounding really harsh on it, but it, it feels script kind of. It kind of feels choppy. It, feel, it kind of feels like something was there, but it doesn't earn its way to spots. It just kind of jumps in there, and it doesn't uh, filter in a lot of like surrounding characters and things to help flourish. It's a lot of lonely scenes with people that feel like more people should have been involved. Craig Sheffer in it is deliciously evil he is a jackass and he's good at it and he's enjoyable elias cotis as a like skinhead biker dude that's good but it's yeah stoltz he's a very like i think it wasn't until tarantino people could get like fun out of the guy but you can see why like you know he wouldn't he wouldn't work as marty mcfly but uh, this is your chance to see him and leah thompson in a movie together if you were mad about Back to the Future back in 85 and wanted that. But yeah, it's, yeah, I, I would say, I would joke and say it's some kind of terrible, but it's not really terrible. It's just underwhelming, very much so. But I've seen it now. I'd heard about it for a while and I was like, I need to check that out. But now that I'm reviewing this Blu-ray set. Uh, there is a good Howard Deutsch who did uh, Pretty in Pink, the director of that, directs this. Mm-hmm. And there's a good interview with, short interview with him on the disc looking back at it, which he was married to Leah Thompson for a while as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is where they they met because she apparently turned down this movie, Howard the Duck came out, and then she went back to this movie. So that happened. (laughs) It's like, hey, you know, at least you met your husband, I guess. Like, there's some silver lining there. Yes. Uh, We got, yeah. And we had Zoe, so here we go. Yeah. But uh, that'll do it for today on the show. Jamie, it's been wonderful having you, and I'm so happy to meet you rather than just Twitter and stuff. Uh, But your pick was awesome. And please let people know where they can find and keep up with you. 
You can find me on Twitter as at Jamie A. Wright, because that's the only thing I could come up with at the time. And on Instagram, you can find me just at Jamie Alvey. All right. Excellent. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. The written work is at whysoblue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. But until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film chatter. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Osman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. 